For Friday, April 10th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the coronavirus has caused major disruptions to the U.S. economy. Think about Hurricane Katrina hitting every major city at the exact same time for three weeks in a row. I mean, clearly, we've never seen anything like this. Economist Tom Smith from Emory University's Goisweta Business School joins me to talk about what it will take for people to weather this storm and the challenges that could come in the wake of the pandemic. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. The Georgia Department of Labor says last week it processed more unemployment insurance claims in seven days than were processed in the entire year of 2019. That's just one sign of how the coronavirus pandemic has thrown the U.S. economy into a tailspin that might not be over and is likely to be pretty hard to eventually recover from. So says economist Tom Smith with Emory University's Goisweta Business School, who joins me now. And Tom, to start, let me ask this. We have seen now just weeks straight really staggering unemployment numbers, uh, both at the federal and the state level. Have we been here before? What is this? What do these numbers even mean? Can you kind of put them in context for me? Well, I can. Um, so what we saw is, it is on the 21st of March, about 3.3 million initial unemployment claims. So this is new people filing for unemployment. And then a week later, about 6.8 million new unemployment claims. And then last week, so we, we got this information yesterday, about last Friday, another 6.6 million new initial unemployment claims. So we've seen something in the neighborhood of about 17 million people file unemployment claims in the last three weeks. That is so unprecedented. So to put it in context, think about Hurricane Katrina, which decimated New Orleans in August of 2005. Right after Hurricane Katrina, we saw about 70,000 people, 75,000 people file new unemployment claims. So New Orleans or Louisiana saw two weeks ago about 75,000 unemployment claims and then followed up by about 90,000 and again, another 90,000. So in quick succession, you essentially saw three times 
the amount of displaced workers as we saw in Hurricane Katrina. So think about it like this. New York is suffering the same thing. Chicago is suffering the same thing. San Francisco, Los Angeles, every major city is suffering the same thing. So think about Hurricane Katrina hitting every major city at the exact same time for three weeks in a row. I mean, clearly, we've never seen anything like this. We've seen over the last few weeks, these numbers continue to go up. Do you think we can expect that in the coming weeks? Um, and, And maybe why haven't all these losses been shown kind of all at once immediately? Well, some of the reasons is that the process for filing unemployment was not uh, ready to handle the millions of people who tried to file all at once. And so the system was literally bottlenecked, shutting people out. So they didn't have any choice but to wait. And so the people who couldn't file the first week were filing the second week. The people who became unemployed the second week had to file the third week. I think the other reason that you're seeing this cascade is that companies are laying off workers or furloughing workers or firing workers as they're understanding the economy better and as things are getting worse. So they say, ah, maybe we can stick it out a week. No, no, we cannot. So not everybody's being fired at the same time. Well, yeah. And can we expect that trend to continue? Certainly everyone is worried about the future of of this virus, but can we expect unemployment numbers to, to go up? And maybe is there a ceiling? There, I mean, there is a ceiling. And think about everybody who's employed now. If everybody became unemployed, I mean, you couldn't have any higher unemployment than that. So I know that that's a kind of a flip answer. I believe that the unemployment rate is going to be somewhere between maybe 30% and 50% um, quite quickly. The numbers that just came out were the unemployment, the official unemployment rate for March was, you know, over 4%. But that doesn't really scratch the surface because we had a couple of weeks in March where people were um, highly employed, right? So the numbers that are going to come out in, in May to re- represent April are going to be much more accurate. I fully anticipate that we're going to see continuous unemployment now for a while, even though all these firms have become... Uh, they're not operational and all their employees are not working. There will be other firms that have are trying to scrape things together and kind of hang on with their fingertips or their nails, if you will, and they might fall off. And as a result, those people who are working for those firms will become unemployed. There are some companies that are hiring, right? You want to have your groceries delivered. The companies that are offering those kind of services are looking for new workers. But that's just a drop in the bucket relative to the total number of people who've become unemployed. Let's talk about Georgia a little bit now. The way our economy is built here in the state, does, does it make Georgia more or less vulnerable than, say, other states when it comes to really feeling the economic impacts of this pandemic? So there was an article a week ago that suggested that Georgia and Atlanta in particular might be insulated from some of this turmoil because it's very diverse and some of the major employers are goods or services that the economy still needs. So like healthcare technology or healthcare. And so there's certainly some credence to the idea that Atlanta is a little bit insulated, but one of our bigger, bigger employers is uh, Delta Airlines. I mean, clearly Delta Airlines is suffering significantly during this pandemic. And so I'm a little bit hesitant to say that, that everything in Atlanta is going to be fine. 
if you recall, coming out of the 2008 recession, uh, Georgia was experiencing unemployment levels that were maybe a full point to a point and change above the national levels. And this is because we were really invested in the housing industry. If this is maybe the pain we're feeling, talk with me a little bit about the relief that people could expect to get, maybe not only from from the state, but I also know there's been federal efforts to kind of help people make it through this. Right. Well, I mean, so there have been some very, very robust fiscal stimulus packages that have been passed, right? People keep hearing, you know, $3 trillion, $2 trillion for this. I mean, there's been multiple phases of fiscal stimulus, and these include the CARES Act. So there's um, you're supposed to get money in your pocket. So checks are supposed to be mailed to people who who uh, have a certain level of income. Um, there's also some loans, SBA loans. There's an emergency loan, about $10,000. Then there's SBA loans. And that's that's the Small Business Administration. That's right. But there, other than the emergency loan, which is $10,000, you can apply for these larger loans up to $100 million. But those loans have been... Um, the process, let's say, has been uh, not perfect. So lots of larger banks uh, identified that they were not prepared for the number of applications to come in. And so even though now these banks have fixed their application process, we're still maybe months away from receiving that money. And as a result, businesses are suffering. So, I mean, the the idea of these fiscal stimulus packages are good. That is the idea of them. The implementation is certainly uh, not up to what we need in order to save these companies from almost certain ruin. Thinking, too, about not just the business relief, but also the the relief for individuals who may have lost their jobs, my, my sense is that that process has not been smooth either. Well, certainly not. The, I mean, what we were hearing about, you know, two weeks ago was, you know, everybody's going to get $1,200 or families have $2,400 plus $500 for kids. I mean, you start looking at the law and there are these huge gaps. So if you have a kid who's 18 years old, well, that kid doesn't count for the $500 because the law says, you know, 17 or, or younger. I mean, the law is just not, was not put together in a way to think about all of the contingencies that were happening as a result of this pandemic. And nobody's still seen a check. I'm wondering, too, about the efficacy of this kind of stimulus package for helping businesses and individuals make it through this pandemic. We, we don't know when this pandemic is going to end. So is this kind of direct cash injection a maybe effective way to help people? And and is this something the government should expect to have to keep doing? Well, we're already seeing them, uh, Congress putting together a fourth round of stimulus. Right? They're already saying, okay, we're going to have to send another $2 trillion, throw it at people. We might have to put together another 2 or $3 trillion bill for directly aimed at consumers. We've never seen this type of disruption in the past. So typically when you have a disruption, you know, a, an economic shock, then part of the economy becomes paralyzed. But I mean, people can still go to bars and people can still go bowling, right? I mean, people can get jobs. You say, okay, fine. I have to go to work at a bowling alley. I got to go work at a bar. Now it's, there's no bowling. The bowling alleys are closed, right? The car wash is closed. The bars are closed. So 
this idea that uh, people could sort of um, stagger the way around and kind of make ends meet is ridiculous. So you have to rely on government funding in order to get you through. I mean, consider most most Americans have less than five hundred dollars in savings. They're, we were not prepared for a, you know a major disruption. Go sit in your house for two months while you don't collect any income. Well, I mean, clearly, government's going to have to continue to fund this thing. Otherwise, I mean, what's the what's the alternative? And that gets to something um, that I think is pretty unique about this this crisis, at least compared to financial crises we, we've seen in the past, which is that this is mostly self-made. This is the government saying for this health purpose, let's really you know close these businesses. Let's essentially shut down large parts of the economy. Does that make this kind of uh, situation we're in any easier or harder to recover from? The fact that this, these were real kind of intentional decisions made that got us here. So the hurdle coming out of every recession is how does uh, the industries that were directly impacted or you know part of the economic shock how do they recover and what does it mean for the economy moving forward you know we closed all non-essential businesses more or less it's not like there's it's not like there's a problem with the business it's the government said you cannot you cannot have your doors open and now they they would at some point they'll say fine go open your doors so here's here is where it could stumble Right, because that initial setup suggests that this will be easy. As soon as you say open the doors, then everybody opens the doors, and you have business as usual. Except for a bunch of small businesses are run by small business owners, and they might have, as a result of this, gone through all of their cash reserves. And then the government says, "Fine, go ahead, open up your shop again." You say, "Yeah, um, how exactly am I going to do that?" Coming out of this is not going to be as simple as just putting a key in a door and unlocking it, it's going to be incredibly difficult for a lot of small businesses to get up and moving again. One of the one of the paradigms that we've kind of seen set up here is this uh, maybe thing of health versus the economy. Is, is that a fair way to think about this situation? Where does that thinking get us? I think if you pit them against each other, then you're going to get the kind of bickering and the kind of policy making that is going to be very, very short-sighted. We know that healthy countries have higher growth rates of GDP. So the idea that we would try to open up the economy and health be damned and, you know, just let our workers, you know, um, you know, try to figure things out is ridiculous. Like that's not a very long run policy that's going to be in good interest for our country. We want the economy to be healthy, but we, the, the economy is run by a bunch of people. You can't expect the economy to come back as robust as it was if a portion of your population is always sick, is always in the ICU. That does not work because then every movement that everybody makes is, okay, it could be me that's in the ICU next week. People have to understand that there are bigger things than a paycheck, right? I mean, people's lives are at stake. And I think that we have to step back sometime and say, okay, so the economy um, is going to suffer. But when it's done, um, people will be alive. Did you wash your hands as a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets in PR? Special thanks to Stephen Key, Lauren Booker, Rebecca Smith, Megan Smith, John Haas, and Ankita Ackroyd Isalis. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at 
washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.